What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this live on Thursday night after the Memphis Grizzlies win over the Toronto Raptors where the vibes just felt right. And after a rather doozy duo of the Warriors Christmas Day game and the Phoenix Suns game on Tuesday night, the Grizzlies felt a little bit more normal. They feel like they kind of got their swagger back, a little pep in their step. But... We won't, I won't go on and on about it. I got to introduce my guests, but first, let me tell you how you can keep in touch with the blog and with the podcast. So, Grizzly Bear Blues is the SB Nation blog covering the Memphis Grizzlies. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And GBB Live is the flagship podcast of the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside Starting Five Podcasts, the Next Gen Podcast, the Core Four Podcast, and Grizzly Bear Bets. So no matter how you turn in, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, however you tune in your podcast, make sure you are checking out the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network there. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I am joined once again by the Ric Flair of (laughs) Grizzlies Twitter. He is um, the co-host of the Lawton Grizzlies podcast. He is the former site manager for Grizzly Bear Blues. He is also a NBA writer for SB Nation, Joe Molinax. Here Joe, I am. How's it going, man? I'll never retire. That's exactly <laughs> right. I've moved on from The Undertaker to Ric Flair. Um, yeah, I, I'm doing well. It's good. I, I made a wrestling reference. I don't know if you saw it there on Twitter before we got this show on the road. Uh, we do locked on now videos, like one minute videos that we're supposed yeah. to do. Um, and I, in my tweet for it, I said that the Memphis Grizzlies went up north and they found their smile, which of course is a reference to the infamous Shawn Michaels promo back in the 1990s, where he uh, he said goodbye for a while, saying he had to go find his smile again. There we so go. If you got that reference, we could be friends because I've been watching professional wrestling that wrong that long. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's but, a top tier wrestling reference yes. right there. I mean, I was deep cut is what it is. That's deep cut for sure. And you know, that's exactly what it felt like. I mean, hell, Dylan Brooks went back home to the six and he got his smile back. He got his swagger back. Before we talk about what I brought you on the show to talk about, let's talk about just real quick about that game. Mm-hmm. Memphis Grizzlies say won by 13 points. So Toronto Raptors just threw it like kind of like off the dome take on it because i mean the game literally descended like 15 <laughs> 20 minutes ago what what were your thoughts on, on the game and just kind of what transpired within it winning is fun and i think that we can't discount you know just them playing better naturally led to them looking happier but they genuinely looked happier like they seemed to let the games come to them more they weren't forcing things as much you could tell that dylan brooks's energy his efforts, you know, the things that he continues to do on the defensive end, but also not being a liability offensively. People like to talk, and I know we'll talk more about this, about how poor his shot selection is. Going into the Toronto game per cleaning the glass, the Grizzlies offense was 3.4 points better per 100 possessions with Dylan Brooks on the floor. So it's not like this shooting issue that isn't really an issue is hurting the Grizzlies offense. So it was really good to continue to see the Grizzly most connected to winning so far this season, at least in terms of net rating. Dylan Brooks uh, have a strong showing there north of the border, home in Toronto. It was good to see Jaron Jackson Jr. continue to take advantage of his size 
and, and get his his length and his just general I'm bigger than you mentality going mm-hmm. in certain matchups. And it was good to continue to see Desmond Bain and Zaire Williams not back up to 100% just yet. Bain, for example, fouled out in this game, which doesn't happen a ton mm-hmm. for Desmond. Uh, so he's not quite there yet, neither is Zaire, but they look like they're improving. They look like they're getting better. So I, I was encouraged by a lot of those different kinds of ideas. And we didn't even talk about yet John Morant having a career best night as a creator in terms of assists. So all around, it was a good night to be a Grizzlies fan, and you should feel encouraged. You know, the Grizzlies are now 12-3 and three against the Eastern Conference. If only that expansion could happen sooner and they put them in Las Vegas and Seattle and let Memphis go east, apparently. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I mean, at that point, though, too, if you're pointing back to John Morant's interview, the only team he's worried about running through is the Boston Celtics. I mean, that would be the east. But, you know, you bring up all those, and, like, I don't, I don't want any of our listeners, like, nauseating when I say this, but it's just nice for people to read the blog, you know? I, I wrote about uh, over the just weekend. read the blog. Over the Christmas, over the uh, where Christmas. have I heard that before? Where have I heard exactly, that? Exactly, yeah. Just I don't read, know just read I've the blog. That, but... Just read the site. There's lots of good stuff there. <laughs> yeah, so – you know, over the weekend, uh, Christmas Day weekend, I wrote about, you know, it's a joyous time. I wrote about John Morant, his biggest joy in the basketball court, sharing the basketball, saying his teammates up for success. He had 17 assists. But this morning, I wrote about how the slump really comes at the core because, you know, they had the role player explosions on the other side, whether it's your your guy, Ty Jerome, My uh, boy. Dwayne Washington, Christian Brown, Anthony Lamb. They had those guys light it up. The Grizzlies couldn't hit the barn sign in the barn when it comes to the outside shot for them. But really what the problem was for the Grizzlies started at the core. Out of the Grizzlies' four best players, only John Morant was playing well. Desmond Bain deserves slack for sure. But at the same time, you know, Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. were played by foul trouble. And I posted a YouTube clip within the story as well. Oh, J.J. Reddick saying that, like, when Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks are in foul trouble, that hinders the Grizzlies' defense, and also, too, it, it hinders their offense. They're two key cogs to the offense. So I wrote about how they need to get out of foul trouble, where with Dylan Brooks, his fouling was outweighing his stopping over the past week and a half. Jaron Jackson Jr., his fouling hurt his involvement. And then we also saw how Desmond Bain, his outside shooting is – very pivotal to the Grizzlies outside shooting success. And we saw all that stuff tonight. You know, I, I had also said Dylan Brooks needs to cut out the two-point shots and try to factor in some more threes. He went 4-7 tonight. 50% of his shots came from beyond the arc. Jaron Jackson Jr., one foul, 29 minutes. Fantastic. Massively Somehow. Important. And it's not like they were hiding him either, right, Parker? No. They weren't hiding him. He had one uh, defensive possession against Pascal Siakam that I almost screamed and woke up my family uh, because it was just so freaking awesome. Like a week ago, he would have fouled the hell out of Siakam. Uh, on that one, it was perfect verticality, impacted the shot, just did a really sound job. That was noticeable in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think this was, aside from that Nets game where he kind of willed the Grizzlies into just being in it for three quarters, I think this was De- uh, Dylan Brooks's best game of the season as well. Uh, not even just as a scorer, but as a as a playmaker as well. He had six assists, and then he was physical as hell on Pascal Siakam. I mean, he, he had 25 points. He went to the foul line for 11 free throws, but 8 and 19 from the field, only four assists. Big kudos to Dylan Brooks. 
obviously Steven Adams deserves credit, but that's not who I wrote about. But I mean, Desmond Bain, he didn't look all completely there yet, but I mean, he made good strides getting there. He had three, three or seven from three, but also two. One thing that I was kind of disappointed in in that early return was his secondary playmaking wasn't there. He had two assists over three games. He had four assists tonight. So it shows that no matter what you may withstand, whether that's hot shooting from Gary Trent, Chris Boucher doing well off the bench, or a or run in the third quarter, the margin for error is a lot wider when your good player or your best players are playing their brand of basketball. And guys like John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, and Desmond Bain showed that tonight. Funny how that works, right? When your best players play well, your team usually does better. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the points of, of frustration for folks like you and others when I'm talking about being frustrated with John Conchar. Yeah, John Conchar could be better, but if the reason the Grizzlies are losing is John Conchar, they have larger issues, right? Like John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks. Those are the four best players for the Memphis Grizzlies right now. And if those four guys are playing close to or at what they're capable of, or even just three of the four are doing it. Uh, and Ja has been the constant over these last couple of weeks, especially offensively. If they are able to produce, they're going to be in most games against most teams. And you saw that against the Raptors. So kudos to Taylor Jenkins and the team. We all, you know, those of us that cover the team, follow the team, talked about how, you know, you have these stretches and it's possible they're still in that stretch. You know, we could come out of the weekend and it's a home and home back to back over New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Uh, Pelicans and Kings, which might kill your party plan. Sorry for that, Parker. Um, but, you know, it'll be a good test for this Grizzlies team, you know, to see where they're at in terms of playing, obviously, the Pelicans, one of the best teams in the NBA so far this season. And the Kings are the best story in the NBA so far mm-hmm. this season. I, w- I want to make fun of the Kings, but I can't. Like, Light the Beam is genuinely organic. And oh, cool. it's like good, good for them. Like, that's fantastic. I just don't want them to light the beam against the Grizzlies. Yeah, it's it's also been almost 20 years. At some point, it just gets sad, Correct. and you want to see a team succeed. And, it, hell, I mean, I'll, I'll take lighting the beam um, if it comes with the downfall of the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Rudy Gobert trade. But Seems likely at this point. Yeah, so not, I'll, I'll not take that. But we're, we're on path for that. So yeah. uh, my point is it's going to be a fun weekend of basketball in Memphis if you had to work over New Year's Eve weekend. These are two yeah. good games to go watch and see. And it'll be another test of – are they the team that struggled on national television against the Suns and the and the Warriors, obviously? Or are they a team at home that is going to hold court and handle their business? And we feel a lot better about them going into 2023. Yeah, I, I mean, I must say I'm not going to get too much into it because I have very important businesses to discuss with you. But it would be a mighty tough scene to say for John Morant to say we're fine in the West and then lose to Denver. Golden State without Curry, Phoenix without Booker, and in New Orleans, all in a span of two weeks. That'd be such a tough and scene. And Sacramento. Don't sleep on Sacramento. Hey. They're not very good defensively, but they're one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. And if Memphis I, yeah. doesn't score, the Kings will outscore them. I'm not sleeping on them at all. I mean, in fact, I, I'm kind of worried more about the availability and in the injury report with th- three games and four nights. That's true. But it's – it's more about like though like the Kings are fun, but those are the four t- teams that you're really talking about vying to represent the Grizzly, uh, represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. It's those sure. four teams, as long as well as like the Los Angeles Clippers. But 
Joe, I'm very surprised, to be honest. You know, I see your great stuff with Locked On. I see your great stuff with your Substack that I totally forgot to plug oh, in. Your okay. written, written in the dark, dark. Substack. You have those two outlets to cover the team, even though you're not with GBB anymore. Yet, here you are on GBB Live, finally giving off your takes. The call me at Christmas takes. Mm. We have you haven't even talked about them yet. Uh, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about them on your Substack or on Locked On Grizzlies. So I'll kind of let people. I'll kind of let you give like a preview to people. Sure. But what's your biggest take? from your call me at Christmas mindset that you have with the Memphis Grizzlies this year? Well, Parker, I know you know this, but just remember who started this podcast, right? GBB Live as a Joe Mullinax creation. So if there was ever a place that I would just give away free content, it would be GBB Live because I did that for years. Okay. So, oh yeah. Um. So uh, no, no, no shot uh, meant at my previous bosses. Um. I, I think that the biggest thing that I take away from this team at Christmas and, and what Parker alludes to is my infamous, probably uh, stance of being patient about figuring out what the Grizzlies are until around this time of year. And my biggest takeaway is that they are very much a team that is led for better or worse by guys who are, What's the way to say this? Emotionally invested, maybe is the best way to put it. When they're playing well, like they did it against Toronto, they fly around, you see the energy, it's impressive. When they don't play well, or when things aren't going the way that they want them to, and Dylan Brooks alluded to this, I believe, either after the Phoenix game or after the Golden State game. After the Phoenix game, um, yeah. Yeah, he, he talked about how when teams chirp back at them, at times they kind of shrink up, you know, people kind of squirm away from the moment in a way. And, you know, we have seen examples of that, you know, that quote Parker took me back to the bubble and John Morant's rookie season. And they're fighting to try to get into the playoffs and all those sorts of things, the play in game. And there were times where John Morant and these other players for the Grizzlies would willingly defer to Dylan Brooks Because whatever you say about Dylan Brooks, and some of it's fair, he is willing to do what needs to be done, if that makes sense. He is the cleaner, to use another wrestling reference. Uh, He's Kenny Omega. He's willing to go out there and do the work that has to be done in terms of physicality, in terms of if you're not going to take the shot, you know damn well that Dylan Brooks is going to take the shot. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, when it comes to talking trash, you know, Dylan Brooks is going to talk all sorts of mess. He's also going to take it when Clay Thompson taunts him over top of him, kind of. You know, Dylan complained about it a little bit. But I think Dylan understands that it's part of the game, right? Um, I think that the emotional investment of this team is very real. You can tell that these guys are bought into each other. They care about each other, and they care about the team. And again, that goes better or worse. For the first time in the last couple of years, you know, you and I in the past have talked about the not too high, not too low, trying to be even keel. Over the last three seasons or so, I would say this is the worst that they've been at that so far. I think that the road record backs that up a little bit. Obviously, a game better now after the win over the Raptors. But I, I think that they emotionally are not where they have been in the past. 
I don't know why that is. You know, maybe that's a, a think piece for DeMichael Cole uh, over the commercial appeal or Drew Hill at the Daily Memphian or Parker Fleming at GBB. Um, but, but that's a complex question, you know, in terms of the idea of them. I don't want uh, mental toughness isn't even the right way to put it. it. The willingness to when things go wrong. Instead of letting the issue snowball. Stopping the snowball effect. I think that they're not as good at that this season, and I'm not sure why that is. And it's also possible that it's a, a fruit of the labor of trying to get this team healthy. That might be a major piece of it. I think we can't discount that in terms of the context of the conversation. It's possible a month from now, their road record is above 500 and they are two or three games above everybody else in the Western conference. Uh, Cause they continue to hold serve at home. Um, I, I think that's my biggest takeaway so far. And it's not really a positive one, to be honest with you. I don't know that they handle adversity as well as they have in the past. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. Although the most obvious reason is probably they haven't been at full strength at any point. Yeah. Can I, can I kind of give my spin on how I think Please. I see it? I, you, I you're, think... you're there, you're in the locker room, you're back in the locker room now. Yeah. You have yeah. essentially beat writer access. Right. Like I don't see, like I will say after the, um, after the game against Phoenix, the vibe felt different, but it didn't strike me as like a a DEFCON situation. Like you you gave me access at the ta- at the very last season of the Mike Conley Marcusall era, where there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of blown leads, and I didn't feel that kind of vibe, but it definitely felt different. And I think we're seeing. Right now, a team that they haven't endured a slump. You talk about adversity, they haven't gone through a slump. So, I mean, let's they were 56 and 26 last season, the second yeah. best team in the NBA. Right. And then, like, John Morant's rookie season, I mean, they didn't have the expectation of being what they are now. The His second season, I, I want to take a phrase from the Starting Five podcast when they were covering it. They were they called them the 500 Grizzlies because it felt like they would win they'd win three games, lose three games, win two games. Like they just played 500 basketball. I mean, obviously they were 38 and 34 last season. The only thing that kind of represented a slump was they started out the season 9 and 10, had that players only meeting in Minnesota, but I mean, they rallied back to a 56 and 26 record. This is the first time in 2022 they've endured any kind of slump. And frankly, you can say it's the first real slump of the Grizz next-gen era. And there's a lot of different emotions and psyche with it when, frankly, you have a bunch of dudes on that roster that's never really been in a slump before. If you think about it, I mean, really, the only guys on the roster that's probably been through it, I mean, Steven Adams, he's been on winning teams. I mean, if you count that experience in in New Orleans as any sort of slump or – uh, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s rookie season and Dylan Brooks's rookie season, you can count that too. Whatever kind of up and downs Tyus Jones had in Minnesota, Danny Green's been on winners his entire career. He's been Cleveland, San Antonio, Toronto, Los Angeles. You have a bunch of dudes in a locker room who haven't been through an NBA slump before. So that's just kind of how I see it. But it, it was really nice, especially tonight, to see them kind of rally back and respond because we see a lot of these teams where they enter a slump 
and they show the signs like, oh, yeah, they're there. But it's almost like that game is a house of cards and one hit and it all comes crumbling down. And I, it was really nice to see the Grizzlies kind of maintain some fortitude throughout the course of that game. And frankly, they showed it in that Phoenix game last Friday, too. They came out guns a-blazing, psyched to get Desmond Payne back, wanting to bounce back from losing two straight games after winning six straight games. I also think, too, against Golden State and Phoenix, they ran into two teams that were pissed off and wanted to kick their ass, if we're being completely <laughs> honest. Especially Golden State. And exactly. I, think that you, I think that you make an interesting point about – the, the not facing a slump. I think that you can even broaden that a little bit, Parker, and say that they haven't ever been the hunted. Yeah, right? they've been that's, the hunter for this entire point. Yeah. That's what you were kind of leading to is they have never been in a team that is expected, right? Like they are expected to make the Western Conference finals probably this year. You know, I, I think that is an expectation of this team. Um, they They are a favorite. There is no plucky underdog love story here there's probably more people in the nba that hate john morant and the memphis grizzlies than love him maybe fans general casual fans maybe love the grizzlies because of what john morant does on the floor but if you follow the nba on a day-by-day basis if you're a hardcore golden state phoenix uh fan of a team in the western conference you see tweets every once in a while parker or at least i do on my timeline talking about how much they hate dylan brooks And like Dylan Brooks is more hated than Grayson Allen among fan bases. And Grayson was hated. My my brand's taking a hit, bro. Yes. Those are two of your favorite players and people despise them. Um, But I I think that, you know, we we take for granted uh, covering the Memphis Grizzlies, the fact that they are, they're beloved in Memphis as well. They should be obviously. And, Mm -hmm. and I do think that national media members really like them. There's a reason they were picked to come out of the West. I think it was ESPN. They asked uh, the the analysts and most of them said, Will Bond and Stephen A. Smith, that that Memphis was their favorite. Um, But that doesn't mean that everybody loves you. Right. And and Golden State generally does not like Memphis. Like I I don't want to hear them say it's not a rivalry ever again. They clearly hate the Memphis Grizzlies and the Grizzlies hate them back. So that's fine. But that by definition is a rivalry. I, I think Phoenix sees the Grizzlies as a team that people are high on. And Phoenix wants to avenge what happened to them last year in the postseason. And in order for them to do that, they're probably going to have to go through the Memphis Grizzlies. So mm-hmm. I think that it's competitiveness. I think that it's, you know, the reality of the situation that there is expectation on this team. And, and last year, there was expectation to get out of the first round. Now the expectation is you should be one of the final four teams in the NBA playoffs. Yeah. And that that carries weight that maybe for the first time, again, at the professional level, this team is and these players have not really felt. And that certainly would make a lot of sense in terms of their psyche. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into it. Maybe I'll save it for rivalry week, but I was listening to a recent mismatch episode, you know, Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor, one of the premier NBA podcasts out there. You know, people try to discredit the Grizzlies Warriors rivalry because the Warriors won in that playoff series. People forget the Grizzly. That same Grizzlies team knocked out that same Warriors team in the play-in on their home court. The Warriors had their season ended on their home court to Xavier Tillman and Grayson Allen. Like, it's a robbery. Pain. They don't like each other. Just embrace Definition it. Definition of pain. Oh, yeah. But, so, yeah, I mean, I I would I would say, you know, 
to sum up basically what I've said, they're they're now the hunted and they're having to adjust to being the hunted. I mean, I'm not an NBA player or anything, but there's probably a different psyche where, you know, you're playing against team. You're going from playing teams that overlook you or you're like, okay, we're waiting for this to fizzle out. So, you know, teams are like, oh yeah, we're playing the Memphis Grizzlies. They're playing a bunch of trash. Let's shut them up. Let's play. Let's play ball. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of energy. It's great. Yeah. Because I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, you know, we're we're talking about the Grizzlies' mental fortitude and um, kind of how you know they they don't have. You s- said they don't have like kind of like I guess the same mental swagger. Sort of. I don't want to speak wrong, especially when talking about mental. Yeah. But I think that the best way for me to say it is that they seem to be dealing with the weight of expectations in a way that was surprising to me um and and it really kind of shines through in that road record where they're not able to again like you and you just said it perfectly in my opinion in the past like last season even they go out on the road and it's a game that you know you go on ticket stub or whatever you know insert resale ticket site here and you can buy the tickets for two dollars right because it's still the memphis grizzlies but now you've got John Morant, who is a national brand, like legitimately a national name. And there is, you know, a, a clamoring for wanting to see this guy play. And it, it really can jolt your perspective, especially on a team without a true veteran presence. No disrespect to Steven Adams or, or maybe active veteran presence is the best way to yeah, put it. Well, Danny, Danny Green, Green some respect. Yeah, he, he's on the roster, but he's not playing. You know, half yeah. the time he's in ESPN, he's in Bristol, Connecticut, doing segments for NBA Today. So I, I think that you have to understand that until Green is active, you know, they don't really have that veteran dude who is going to help them calm down. That voice is essentially John Morant and Dylan Brooks. And, you know, whether it's Ja just being a force for offensive chaos in the best way possible, or whether it's Dylan Brooks being an agent of chaos in every way possible, uh, you don't really have that steadying, calm hand. You know, and Desmond Bain, if you want to say it was him, you know, he's been out for the last several weeks. So that also adds to the tumult. And, and I do think that that, you know, again, context is key. The fact that this team has been healthy for the last few games. And again, we say healthy, but that doesn't mean that Desmond Bain, who had a toe injury, is fully conditioned. It's hard to condition and play live basketball when your your injury is to your toe. Yeah. Right. Like that's pretty important for the whole running thing. So Bain is probably out of shape. Uh Zaire Williams with his knee, similar concept, probably out of shape. You know, there's only one kind of shape and one way to get into NBA basketball shape. And that is by playing NBA basketball. So you see that continue to develop and we might be having a very, a much different conversation. So that context is important, but that still is a takeaway of mine so far is they are handling that differently. And I think that the easiest answer, you know, the concept of Occam's razor, the easiest explanation is usually the correct one. Um, I think the easiest answer is they haven't been healthy. They haven't been together. Let's let them get healthy and together. I think that's more than fair. And again, we're talking about a team that's in the top five or six in the entire league in terms of records. So we're, we're, nit, we're nitpicking a little bit here. That That's, that's what I was originally going to get to, to get you to clarify. Cause again, I, I always want the most clarification when talking about 
the mental mm-hmm. side of, of stuff. But yeah, like we're talking all this, they're a game within the Pelicans for first in the Western Conference. They're a top 16 by record in the entire NBA. They just got their big, th- really core four back when you consider Dylan Brooks in there. Mm-hmm. Good and healthy. I also, one thing with the road record, I was talking with Bryson Wright about it last week. I think parity is playing a big thing into it where it's like, hey, sure. everyone's so close. Whoever's at home. Especially in the Western team. Conference. But also, you've had so many of these soreness games where, like, a lot of the road games that you've lost, you've had one of John Morant, Desmond Bain, or Jaron Jackson Jr., or situations like Washington and Brooklyn where you didn't have any of them. So, And I do think it's important, and you made a good point earlier about this home-and-home back-to-back, seeing what the injury reports look like. I think the Grizzlies are at the point where they, they're they not quite Golden State, obviously, because Golden State has won multiple championships, including the most recent one. Memphis isn't a veteran team by the no, traditional definition. I think as long Memphis clearly wanted the two seed last year, that was a goal of theirs. I'm not sure they're in that spot this year. I think that they want home court. I think they want you know, top four. Sense. But as long as they're in the top four, I don't know that they're going to push the way that they did in the past. To So we might be excited for, ooh, they're going to play the Pelicans and the Kings. This is going to be a real test. And then it, maybe it is the Sacramento game that they just kind of punt and Ja and Jaron and Bain don't play. And, you know, the, the Kings come in and get to light the beam at the expense of Memphis. We'll, we'll have to see how it all plays out. But again, I appreciate the opportunity for clarification. There's a lot of reasons that can explain where they are, but that doesn't change the fact that is where they are. They're not excuses. They're reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But Hey, don't don't say anything about light lighting the beam on the Grizzlies. That's a lot of Kennedy Chandler, <laughs> David Roddy, and Jake Laravia Erisher up in there, man. But um, I'm gonna give my call me at Christmas take. And granted, this might be a one that might need to get pushed back until like mid-January or so. Mm-hmm. I am cautiously optimistic about the Grizzlies wing depth right now. Obviously, Desmond Payne, he he's gonna be fine. I mean, we're talking about a dude who was averaging 24, 25, 5, and 5 before his injury. I think he's going to be fine. Dylan Brooks says your fourth fourth guy is great for your winning chances, but also, too, we've kind of seen in the past, especially with last year's finals, the idea of kind of having the mental X factor. You know, Boston and Boston has Marcus Smart. Golden State has Draymond. Dylan Brooks is kind of cut from the same cloth. I think he's a valuable guy to have, especially as a guy that can – take on a variety of different matchups, but you know, I'm, I'm worried. I'm cautiously optimistic about what's behind them. Um, I think right now they have their bonafide championship seven when it comes to job, Bain, Jaron Brooks, Adams, and then Clark. And even though he's been inconsistent, Tyus Jones, uh, but with everything below, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think Santi Aldama has been really nice this season. I mean, he's shooting 39% from field on almost three and a half attempts. That's a sneaky up upgrade from what they had last year. Uh, Aldama is probably, if you're ranking them, Aldama is probably their eighth best player right now. And that's the thing I'm worried about because that's not ideal for the playoffs. It really sure. isn't. I don't know what Santi Aldama looks like in the playoffs. And it boils down to Zaire because Zaire has shown you he could be the eighth guy in the playoffs. He was that last year. He leapfrogged the Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson to be the eighth best player in the playoffs for the Grizzlies. 
I mean, so far, and the reason why I say cautiously optimistic is because he he's coming back from his knee injury, and with an injury like tendonitis, it's a interesting ramp up process because you're having to like ramp up, gauge the soreness, and you might have to rest a little bit, mm-hmm. and then it's just a cycle until you're ready to play. And right now, you know, I'm looking at cleaning the glass, and he it's interesting because on. The eye test, you see that he's not clearly right from a shooting standpoint, but he's doubled his assist percentage right now, now in the 58th percentile assist percentage, and he wasn't nearly a good playmaker last year. He's in the 81st percentile in assist to usage ratio. And then if you look at his rebounding, he is rebounding. His mm-hmm. rebound percentage off field goals for defensive rebounding is at 156 going from the ninth percentile to the 94th percentile. He's now in the 72nd and 74th percentile in block and steal percentage after being in the 30th and 28th last season. So he's clearly showing value and improvement in other areas, but the shooting is still a sore spot for him. Obviously, he he shot 11% from three. He did hit a three tonight. It was really nice, and I about jumped off the couch when I saw him hit that three corner three and Pascal Siakam's grill. I know the thing that I had really marveled at last season. And I know you would always told me in pitches like, Hey, kind of like pump the brakes on this a little bit, but he was a really good mid range shooter last year. Mm -hmm. He was in the 95th percentile in long mid range shots. He was 61% from the field. He has not attempted a single long mid range shot, which kind of goes into the comfort thing. And, you know, I say cautiously optimistic about it because I do think he's going to, he's not going to be an 11% three point shooter and any sort of progression to the mean would be a huge boost to the Memphis Grizzlies given what else, everything he's provided. And it seems like Taylor Jenkins is trying to get him into that zone, but if he's not back into that zone and he's not your bonafide eighth guy right now, then are you looking at having to make a trade for a bonafide eighth rotation player. Are you having to look at using Danny Green in a future first-round pick? I am of the belief the Grizzlies need to trade their own 2024 pick. They do not have the roster space to have two rookies, even in the 2024-2025 season, unless a massive consolidation trade happens. The Warriors pick is going to be better. Go See, do they have to use Danny Green 2024 and Xavier Tillman to go get somebody because Zaire Williams just isn't your eighth guy right now. And I'm not saying that just as Zaire, but also too, like John Conchar, he struggled this month. And he, we're talking about a guy with Conchar where, you know, he looked really good as a starter, but coming off the bench, he's kind of reverted back to his passive shooting tendencies. And when he has shot, he hasn't been great. I mean, everybody wants to see David Roddy over – John Conchar and to an extent Zaire Williams, but I mean, are you trusting David Roddy to be your eighth guy in a playoff rotation? No, you no. shouldn't be. So that that's why I'm cautiously optimistic because if they're if Zaire Williams is still not right by mid-January, the West is so open right now. They can't afford to just be like, oh yeah, like internal improvement. We'll we'll make trades in the offseason. Like they may need to look at trying to go acquire a Malik Beasley. Or, I mean, he's not a great shooter, but acquiring an Alex Caruso, who James Herbert had just said on the Ringer NBA show with Mike Pina, he would love to see Alex Caruso as a Memphis Grizzly. Do they go and try to get 
a Gary Trent Jr. or I had a pipe dream, a pipe dream of mine, Joe, Kyle Kuzma, or they go even smaller, go get Alec Burks. Do they, they, it's all their trade deadline plans. A lot of it is going to hinge on how good is Zaire Williams looking. And I think it's great that he's showing all these other improvements. And in fact, he's actually shown a little bit of an improvement offensively over the past two games. And granted, they're trying to, you know, work him in, figure out where to work him in the right stack of rotation. But that's what it's going to, that's going to be very defining early for the Memphis Grizzlies plans in 2023 is how good is their wing depth? One of the great ironies of this basketball season is that you and I are on opposite ends of the fence now um, because you and others are inquiring about trades. And if anybody has followed my work over the last several years, I'm all about trades. I get on the trade machine wherever I can. I think of all sorts of fun deals that could get the Memphis Grizzlies better. And I get yelled at for it almost constantly. Hey, do you remember, um, do you remember when John Morant yelled at you for a trade? You suggested he did on yell at me for Jordan a trade. And yes. He told you no. Yeah. John Morant told me no. That is a fact. That is something that occurred. Um, so no, 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 uh, no doubt that my trade angst as the armchair GM is known far and wide, even as high as uh, John Morant himself. I don't think they're going to make a trade. I don't think they have any interest in it. And I think that they are going to ride with Zaire Williams because I, I know Zach Kleiman is someone who is highly respected and I respect the hell out of him too. Four years ago, and I uh, talked about this the other day, we were looking at this team and thinking, what the hell are they going to do? Right? Like what is going to happen to this franchise? Cause they were aimless. Uh, they were floating with nothing to show for anything. And to go from that to a Christmas Day game in four years is a phenomenal thing. And everybody involved in the Grizzlies organization deserves all the credit in the world for that, especially Robert Para, Zach Kleiman, Jason Wexler, Taylor Griffin, and arguably, most importantly, John Morant. However, they operate that front office as a rebuilding franchise front office. They have done nothing, Parker, in terms of acquisitions, in terms of trades. Resigning Tyus Jones and Steven Adams doesn't count. They have done nothing that acts like they are a contending basketball team. They are the fifth youngest, I believe, roster in the entire NBA. The, the other four teams that are younger than them are not contending for anything. They're, they're except for hey, they're, yeah, they're contending for Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot Henderson. They're trying to get one of those two top picks in the lottery. That's what they're contending for. So the Grizzlies are the anomaly, and they continue to be, and I think they will continue to be. I think they value this culture that they've built. I think they value that there's only one free agent acquisition on the entire roster, and that's Tyus Jones. They plucked him carefully. They saw him as someone who would protect possessions and create offense for others. I'm not convinced that they are willing to disrupt that this season to move on from an asset that they could use down the road. Now you're right that they're not going to make multiple rookie picks in 2024, but they might hold on to those picks to try to move up in a draft, which they've done yeah. literally every single, every draft single draft since Zach Kleiman has started. 
So the big cons- consolidation move could be four first round picks to get up into the top six or seven of this draft, maybe if there's somebody they really believe in. Um, I, I just don't see them making a deal for even an Alex Caruso. You know, I, I would be happy with Alex Caruso. I would be thrilled with a Kyle Kuzma. You know, basically every name you just listed would be an upgrade in terms of making this team better right now. But it would cost them something that would be valuable to them down the road. And I just don't see them doing that. They don't operate like a contender. They are a contender in terms of record. The Grizzlies team, the players, the coaches, they play and coach their asses off. They are trying to contend. Zach Kleiman changes his timeline for no one. And I do not think that he thinks this is their time. I could be proven wrong. I've been wrong before. I just don't see them doing it. And, you know, maybe that comes back to bite them for the first time this year. But so far, it hasn't been them, Parker. If they make the Western Conference Finals without making a trade, is that a failure? Even if they lose in the Western Conference Finals? No, absolutely not. So I think that they're going to see what Zaire looks like. He has a month or so, a little less than a month, to your point, to kind of get his feet under him. And if Zaire can be what they hope he can be, then they're going to ride. But I do not see, even though it makes total sense, Danny Green's contract is right there. Xavier Tillman, who is probably not an NBA player long-term, is right there. You have two guys that you can trade plus a first-round pick, and that will get you something. Yeah, That is better than Danny Green and Xavier Tillman. What that is is up to Memphis and how interested they are in the market, and I just don't think they're interested in it. But yeah, I, 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 I if they did, I would be pleasantly surprised because I think it would improve their chances now. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And I mean, frankly, I don't think they make a trade. And I think it's also because Zaire Williams does round back into his shooting form to couple with those non-scoring improvements that he's made to become the bonafide eighth guy. And then from there, you know, I think Santi Aldama could be a a fringe playoff rotation guy, like your ninth or tenth guy. And then I see... I, I actually think they're going to keep Danny Green and they're going to use him similar to how Golden State uses Igudala this season or this last season in the playoffs. He's just the grown-up who's been there. He's going to move the ball, make the right communication points and make the right reads defensively, and he'll hit an outside shot or two. He's not going to do a whole lot, but he's just someone who's been there before and he's not going to be nervous for the moment. Um, I, I don't think they're going to make a trade. I just think they're – and it's – like I said earlier in the show, their ceiling isn't determined by the eighth guy. It's going to be by their four best guys. But I do think um, Zaire Williams' play will determine their trade deadline plans. And ultimately, I don't think it will. I, I think he's going to bounce back. I have a lot of – I have a lot of stock in Zaire Williams being a very valuable piece for this Memphis Grizzlies team. I mean – we're talking about a guy who's a near seven foot shooting guard here. Like he, mm-hmm. he is an Afro away from being bowl bowl. So, so I, I think he's fine, but Joe, let's, let's close the show with this non 2020 or so for 2023, if you had to make a, any sort of wish or resolution of sorts for the Memphis Grizzlies, and it can't be a championship because that's the obvious answer. It'd be very boring. It'd be very boring podcast material. What would you pick? 
quick note before that. For the Boston Celtics, who John Morant says he is nervous about, their eighth best player is Grant Williams, right? Or you could say it's Robert Williams, or you could say it's Malcolm freaking Brogdon. So that that eighth guy, once you get the championship contention, is important. That's what um, I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. So I I I I think that's important to point but out. But who's the best player, the eighth best player of the Milwaukee Bucks? It's Grayson Allen or Javon Carter. <laughs> sure. Which, you know, Grayson I'll never mind. That's a, maybe an episode for an, a topic for another podcast. Um I think that my biggest resolution for this Grizzlies team is to continue to find ways to develop Jaron Jackson Jr. Because he is the X factor. He is the guy that is their ceiling. I have no doubt that Desmond Bain is going to get back to at least close to what he was doing before injury. He's too good offensively. There's too much of a sample size to suggest that he is going to do that. You know, at the very least, be a 44% three-point shooter because he's literally been that almost every season of his career since he went to TCU. So Bain's going to be fine. Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant still don't really play well together. When you think of offensive game in terms of two-man game, there it's almost non-existent with Jaron and Jaw. Pick and roll, pick and pop. You know, we you and I would have conversations about imagine when they get that going and Jaron's this three-point threat and Jaw can create off the dribble and get to the basket. You don't see that very much in the Grizzlies offense. So the continued evolution of Jaron Jackson Jr., who is having an all-NBA defense season again, who is better offensively than he has been since his sophomore season in the NBA. He is improving. I want to continue to see him evolve. I want to see him pass more. Uh, He's one of the worst passing bigs in the NBA. I want to see him integrate his game better with John Morant because I think that opens up the half-court offense. That's the key, Parker, to me. You want to talk about them being better in the offensive half court. Their two best players in terms of talent don't interact consistently in the half court. Imagine James Harden and and Joel Embiid for the 76ers rarely running pick and roll together. They do it almost every time down the court. So I I want to see Jaron continue to get more comfortable alongside John Morant because I think when that happens, it doesn't have to be Embiid-Harden-esque. It just needs to be better because once it does, the the half-court offensive issues become this is the top 10 or 12 half-court offense in the NBA, and you're legitimately talking about the Memphis Grizzlies facing the Boston Celtics or Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. To me, that's the key that needs to be unlocked. It goes through Jaron. My resolution is for him to continue to evolve his offense to be able to play better alongside Jaw. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I was going to give something Jaron related just as like, I, I would love to see him do what he did in those like first 12 games back from his injury. Cause he legitimately looks like an all NBA caliber big man when you factor in the offense and the defense. But yeah, that that's something, I mean, frankly, when it comes to John Morant, Jaron Jackson, pick and rolls. And this, this is going to sound very old head of me, but he's just got to, Jaron's got to learn how to set a screen. It would save him one foul. He's not game. very good at it. It so was so much of the offense is initiated by Steven Adams. That that's why I mean, yeah. That I I I get that. Um, I will have something in the similar Jaron and Jaw realm. And this year, 
we haven't seen this lineup much because of injuries, but also too, the Grizzlies haven't had to close much because they're either kicking ass or getting their ass kicked. I want Taylor Jenkins to use the lineup of John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. more. Use it more than just, hey, we're down 15 to 20 points and we need to come back. Use it in crunch time when it's one way or another, a three-point game, a five-point game. That's your best lineup. As I mean, your starting five is really good, but when it comes to closing, everything's so much different closing versus starting. And I think this lineup is a turbocharged version of its starting lineup. While Brandon Clark doesn't set nearly as hard of screens as Steven Adams, people kind of argue that he doesn't really set screens. Still a devastating roller. He's an efficient, he's an efficient roller. With him and Jaron Jackson Jr., you have two front court guys that just fly all over the court and they could switch everywhere. You have two threats for John Morant in the front court. You have Dylan Brooks as the kind of defensive agent of chaos. You have the John Morant, Desmond Bain, Tango. And also, too, I'm looking – these were the postseason numbers, Joe. So take this lineup data in consideration. They didn't play any rat teams. They were playing the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors, plus 35.6 net rating, 138 points per 100 possessions scored and a defensive rating of 102.3 in 87 possessions against the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. It seems good. It seems really good. I would try to use that a lot more. So that sounds good. Yeah. Um, I think that the reason they don't, and you alluded to it a little bit there in your answer, is that they, to get the most out of John Morant, and this is changing. Jaw's offense has improved. His floater mm-hmm. game, his mid-range shot, he has evolved offensively. He's close to being a three-level scorer. And when that happens, you know, the NBA screwed. Uh, he's, he's unguardable at that point. Uh, he's not fully there yet, but he's definitely closer than he was a year ago, uh, in my opinion, at least. Um, but Clark and, and Jackson Jr. don't set screens. And that's still the best way, or don't set screens well consistently. And that's Adams' strength. Steven Adams is able to set a screen, be able to position his body, and it, it just gets the most out of Jaws' best ability, getting to the paint and finishing, right? So I, I think that's the main reason they, again, old head maybe, Taylor Jenkins doesn't want to try it because he knows that it limits what Jaw does best. But for all the reasons you outlined, it makes a ton of sense in a more new age sense to give it more of a look. And, you know, that closing versus starting dynamic is one that's definitely worth keeping an eye on as the season unfolds. So I think that's a good one. You know, play your best players more. Uh, it is almost always a sound coaching philosophy. So, you know, I, I feel like most people would agree at this stage of their careers, Brandon Clark is better physically than Steven Adams. But what does Steven Adams bring to the offense to get the most out of John Morant? You know, that that matters as well. Yeah. I also just re- remember some of the fun moments of – the, I guess not. I wouldn't say fun. I mean, it is fun, but I mean, I the more professional term would be the more exhilarating moments of what I've watched Grizzlies basketball was his closing moments with that combination. I mean, granted, Dylan Brooks was out for a lot of the times, but it was either Ja, Bain, Clark, Jaron, and then either Tyre Williams or D'Anthony Melton. Like it was those moments in those fourth quarters that regular season game against the Warriors, regular season game against the Knicks. 
uh, regular season game against the Timberwolves. Those were those were the moment that that was those were the moments that generally generated exciting basketball while also translating the Grizzlies wins. It was when those at least those four guys were on the floor: John Morant, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. Let me see more of that in 2023, Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, so, Joe, that's about all the time we have. Do you have anything else you want to add before we close the show? No, I, I just want to shout out Grizzly Bear Blues. You know, what? one of the main reasons I stepped down, the main reason I stepped down, because as you've mentioned, and you know, I'm still doing Grizzlies content, uh, but I'm not running a blog anymore because you are there on the ground and you're covering the Grizzlies in an extremely wonderful way you know brandon abraham continues his work with the memphis hustle sean coleman has done a great job uh doing all sorts of different things wearing many hats for you over at gbb the staff is great bryson you know the core four show is a blast to listen to you know i still follow and check the blog almost every day and i'm very impressed with the work that gbb has done so you know, I'm at Locked On Grizzlies and I'm, you know, doing the Substack and writing for the Mothership now and and all those sorts of things. Uh, but GBB is and always will be my baby. And it's good to see it continuing to grow and flourish uh, under your leadership. So I'll, I'll shout out you in my last little bit and continued success in 2023. I know you just got married. So best to you and the missus. Sure did. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be a big year for GBB, a big year for Parker Fleming. And I'm very proud of you, buddy. So keep up the good work. I really appreciate it. If I somehow have a bigger year than 2022 and 2023, then look out. I mean, look out. But I appreciate you, Joe. Um, I guess I'll give a, a reference here that, you know, um, you 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 were the Triple H. The GBB was your NXT wrestler. Now it's on the main roster, you know. But uh, or, or, or we can say that, you know, if GBB is your baby, you're finally seeing it off to college and I'm in the fraternity, big bro. So, it, yeah, it, oh, there's a little chaos here and there. You, you, should know. <laughs> you should know there's a little chaos, but uh, I, I appreciate you making your, your rounds coming back on uh, the GBB podcast network um, and make sure y'all are following Joe at Joe Molinax and subscribe to his Substack, written in the dark. Um, all it's only five dollars. You get every single one of his posts, and your money is going to go to a Memphis charity, as Joe has yep. put out there before. You know that means a lot to me, and it should mean a lot to the community. And also, it's good Grizzlies content. You should never be starved for Grizzlies content, or you should always be starved for Grizzlies content. I mean, so make sure you follow him. All the great stuff he does over at SB Nation, Substack, Locked On Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Pac underscore Flocka. And you can find all of my work over at grizzlybearblues.com alongside my tremendous staff. Follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Follow me on Twitter at Paco underscore Flocka. And make sure you are subscribing to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network so you don't miss a single episode of any of our five shows. So that's about it. And you know what? We'll see you next year. <laughs>